And there was a theme song. Hello everyone and welcome to Double Issue, that's what we're calling it. This is the second episode. I am Quentin Pongratz and I'm joined here with my co-host, Daniel Poole. And just like last time, we're going to bring you a couple of stories set in this universe we're creating issue by issue. And we're going to talk about this world that we're creating them in. That's right. Our beautiful little superhero universe. We should probably come up with a name for the universe. You got any bright ideas for that? Um, nothing really hit me. And I'm really bad because I usually just name my worlds the same thing every time. Just something with a C at the end. Something with a C at the end? Yeah, like a cloud C, dust C. (laughs) I just keep reusing the same one. Superhero Ocean. Have you been uh, watching anything to get ready for the show? No, I haven't even seen the newest superhero stuff. Justice League just came out. And I still haven't seen Thor Ragnarok. I did go see Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah, what'd you think? Oh, uh, it was pretty good. It's one of those things where I was down to complaining about like costuming. So like, you know, my overall critiques were pretty light. <laughs> All I've heard about it is it's the best superhero movie ever. Yeah, I mean, it's fun because it breaks the mold a little bit. Like it uh, deviates from the the general superhero movie path. But there were still some things that were like... Basically, it was still a Marvel movie, but there was a lot of fun differences. I don't know. I don't want to give too much away, but this the costuming and the world building and the uh, the music lineups and the actors were all really just great. Yeah, I know it's based partially off the Planet Hulk storyline. Yeah. Which I actually, I actually read that when it came out. I don't remember much of it, but... <laughs> Wasn't there something like... Someone owns the rights to Planet Hulk, so they couldn't call it that. Oh, I don't know. I think uh, another studio owns the rights to a Hulk movie on its own. Oh. Like Universal still owns the rights to doing a Hulk movie. That's why they've only had him in other movies and not his own again. That makes sense. I think Mark Ruffalo might finally be the right person to get a Hulk movie correct. And we won't get it. Yeah. Man, I wanted Edward Norton to be such a good Hulk movie. I liked it, but it also now doesn't really fit in with the rest of them. No, not really. Some people argue that uh, you don't really want another Hulk movie. The Hulk is good just because he's like limitedly used in everything else. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like Doctor Strange. I really like Doctor Strange, but then it was just fun having him just show up. And other things. It's like, oh, hey, what are you up to? You want to get into the stories? Sure. It's my week to go first, so I guess I'll do just that. All right. The more amazing Richard. It's hard to number how many things I've invented. How do you count them? Take my cryotech items. I started with the standard freeze right here. The amazing Richard, as he calls himself, picked up a bulky weapon and flipped a switch. 
It whirred, and the metallic gun became accented with the predictable blue lighting we've come to associate with chilling and freezing devices. I invented the technology inside of this, expressly for this gun. When I repurpose those ideas and create a freeze grenade, is that a second invention? What about when I went further from the original idea and made the frozen katana that killed Fireman? You remember that guy, right? What a dumb name. He had to have known that a fireman was already a thing, and puts fires out, not started them. He sighed before turning his monologue back to his original point. This wasn't the first time I've listened to villains revealing their grand plan to me. Many of them go down the path for recognition, and kidnapping a reporter and making them listen to you and your plan is certainly one way to get some attention. I couldn't not write about the experience, and I could usually guilt the hero that stopped their plan into an exclusive interview once the whole thing was over. This time was different, though. I had been trying to get an interview with the amazing Richard since the failed conclusion of his zombification scheme. I tried to get access to him while he was in the mountain, but aside from it being an insanely tough prison to get into, he replied to one of my letters with, Once I'm out, which I read at the time as, Over my dead body. He got out a lot sooner than anyone expected, though. In conclusion, the number of things I've invented, numbers between 100 and 1,000. Though I suppose if you include the number of things people invented with my technologies as a base for their work, that number could be another magnitude of order higher. I checked to make sure my recorder was actually doing its job. Turns out the recorder not working in the last interview with Amy Dangerous before the time she disappeared for three years is enough to develop a compulsion. Everyone wants to know the exact words and not just your recollection when something like that happens. What would you say are your favorite and least favorite of your inventions? He looked into the distance to put some thought into the question. It's easy to forget how large he is when you see him on television because most of the heroes are just as massive. Perhaps a better question would be of which you are most and least proud. He turned to me and sat down. That I can answer more easily. Of course, I'm saving the one I'm most proud of for the end of this interview. I really want to end with something good and this one is great. He smiled, his purple, or perhaps blue, lips parted to reveal those white teeth. Posts online argue about the actual hue of his skin, the theories ranging from the obvious ends of the spectrum between blue and purple, but more outlandish theories suggest his skin changes, and that's why no one can agree on the color, or that the true color of his skin is found in a higher dimension and we can't even comprehend the true color. His smile broke after a moment. His constantly thinking mind found an avenue where his answer was not as correct as it could be. The one I'm most proud of changes, though. I think I'm always proud of whatever my current project is. If you had interviewed me before the mountain, I would have said, what is it they're calling it out there? The zombie machine? I'm sure that would have been my answer then. And the least? Whatever was left over of his smile vanished now. He looked into my eyes and I didn't flinch away. It was hard not to, but I had learned that those moments where your interviewee looks into your eyes for that extra thing they need to answer the question, whether that thing is understanding or sympathy or pity, whatever it is, they'll only find it if you give it a space for it to be found. He broke eye contact and left the table as well as the room. As long as I had been aware of the news, they had been calling him the Terrible Dick instead of the Amazing Richard. It isn't hard to hate the guy. He does most of the work himself. People speculate about his origins. Is he an alien from space? Is he a government test gone wrong and escaped? Is he from a parallel dimension where everyone is an asshole and he really is the Amazing Richard there because all social norms are in the reverse in that place? Everyone has a different theory, even if it's just a slight variation. 
The one thing they can all agree on, though, is how much they despise him. He walked into the room and set a glass container on the table. Inside the container was a model city. It didn't sprawl because it didn't have the room to, but it rose to fill the container. The height of the buildings would have been awe-inspiring if they had been the full size. It looked like some city from the future complete with technological flourishes, of which I couldn't quite imagine the purpose. This. What is it? Where I was born. Where I was from, well, I don't really care to get into the specifics, but we were facing a calamity. Something big enough and dangerous enough to take out the whole planet. Just like now, I loved science and inventing things. I was part of a team and we were tasked with finding a way to, to stop it. Everything we came up with wasn't stopping it, but I found a way to escape. I had developed a way to rip a hole in the fabric of space-time. The problem was the amount of time this rip stayed open for was quite small. I could escape, but to evacuate the whole planet in this fashion was infeasible. So instead of finding a way to scale up my technology, I had the idea to scale down the people. It was a great idea, but I didn't think through the implications. You shrank down the city, but you never found a way to blow it back up, is that it? He smiled in a way that you smile at a child that doesn't know how wrong they are about their dumb kid logic. They died pretty quickly. It turns out lungs aren't biologically designed to take in oversized oxygen molecules. That's why when you see one of those shrinking heroes, they have a mask on, a filter that will shrink the oxygen down to the size they need. He put his hand on the top of the display case and spun it around like he was looking for a particular location inside. That's why I always try to think of what can go wrong and prepare for the worst. Let me show you my new invention and that will help explain my process. They left the table in the city behind to go to another room with innumerable gadgets and parts lining the tables and shelves. In the center of the room stood a device double my height. I had seen footage of the zombie incident and this machine didn't look different enough to put me at ease. The device is designed through the eye to the middle where the device didn't even actually exist. A vertical standing circle bridged two pillars of wires, screens, and blinking lights. Around the inside edge of the circle were restraints located at spots to help someone in the middle achieve the pose of the Vitruvian man. I voiced my thoughts. Torture? No. Then his face contorted. Well, that wasn't my intended purpose, but now that you say that, I could see how this could be used for that. Though I think there are more efficient ways if torture is your goal. Is this related to the zombie machine? I hate that name, but I guess when you can't do a press release to name the thing yourself, these things are bound to happen. He walked to one of the pillars of electronics and began typing on a keyboard there. It is related. Just how all of my cryotechnology is related. It's taking a nugget of the same technology and finding a new use for it. In some ways, the same use, but... He turned to me. I guess nobody knew the actual purpose of that machine. You're going to say it wasn't some plan to take over the world by turning the population into zombies, I assume. What good is being king of the zombies? Fair enough. What was the purpose, then? Immortality. I won't go into details, as we would be here all day and you would scarcely understand the underlying principles, but I thought that would be the machine that would make me live forever. You said you prepare for the worst, and then that happens. How do you reconcile that? Well, I did prepare for the worst. I tested it on others before myself. He chuckled, a small laugh for such a large loss of life. This one, though, I don't need to test on others. I've got another kind of redundancy here. He walked over to the circular part of the machine. I'll put myself into here, and then the device will activate. The goal is to take my consciousness and implant it into a robot body I've constructed over there. 
He gestured toward an opaque glass chamber connected to the machine with a bundle of wires thicker than my waist. It's not as foolproof as being Amy Dangerous or the handful of other people that just can't seem to die, but it does eliminate the aging process and gives quite a bit of flexibility when you can jump your consciousness from one body to the next in cases of catastrophic failure. He smiled. It's my best invention yet, the one I'm most proud of. Do I need to be worried about a zombie outbreak if this goes wrong? No, the machine will take my consciousness out of my body and create a copy into the robot. If anything goes wrong, the failsafe will put my consciousness back into this body, and I can work out what went wrong. If everything goes right, though, he smiled and turned back to the machine. He went about doing science on the machine for a few minutes, which boiled down to an amount of button pressing and switch flipping on the device. He turned and bowed toward me before strapping his feet into the circle. The devices locking his hands into place activated themselves when he reached up to them. See you in another life. He nodded, perhaps as some sort of signal for the machine to begin its process, and then it happened. The machine wasn't built for an audience. It had no theatrics of electricity or sparks, no sound built up in pitch until stopping after its peak. The only sign that anything had happened was on Richard himself. After his nod, his body tensed. Every muscle in his body bulged for a second like the body struggled to keep a hold of his consciousness before failing and relaxing again. Was he officially dead in that moment? I wished he had explained the process any so that my article could be a little more educated when I wrote it. A moment passed with no indication that anything else was happening before he opened his eyes. He took a second and looked around the room. It didn't work. At least the failsafe worked. The machine clanked as it let go of his hands. He stretched and felt his body. Perhaps he felt it to verify his existence after the out-of-body experience, or perhaps to calm his muscles after a full-body tensing. Then from the side of the room, a hiss. We both looked over to see the opaque container opening. From the tube stepped a man almost identical in appearance to the flesh and blood man still strapped into the machine. The form was the same, but something didn't quite match. The color of his skin didn't seem to capture that quality that everyone debates over. It worked, the flesh Richard asked, as the robot Richard declared the same. Flesh Richard's hands darted down to his feet to free himself. Machine lock, Robo Richard ordered. The machine clicked in response. Machine unlock. The machine responded to the same voice from a different location, and Flesh Richard was able to get his right leg free. Machine lock. The restraints clicked again, before the voice could contradict itself again. Robo Richard brought down a fist on one of the pillars. The sparks I anticipated from the machine earlier were readily available now. We both know what must happen, Robo Richard moved toward the captive Richard. We could work together. Two minds. I know the biological instinct to live is strong. But think about this from my perspective. It shouldn't be hard. Flesh Richard gulped. This isn't death. This is fixing a glitch in the process. Flesh Richard nodded. Robo Richard grabbed the top of his head and began to squeeze. The skull gave resistance, but in the end, the robot fingers proved superior. I screamed at the sight of the gore and realized I had been wanting to react all along, but had been unable to do so. He turned to me. He flicked blood off of his hand and approached. Don't worry about any of this. I'm still me. He tapped his chest when he said me to emphasize his point. It left spots of blood on his chest. You just witnessed a grand piece of science and history all in one moment. He chuckled. 
Shall we go back to the other room and continue the interview? I imagine that guy over there will be pretty distracting. I smiled nervously and followed his lead. The end. For now... So, awesome story. Uh, I appreciate the uh, differentiating between Robo Richard and Flesh Richard. I felt weird writing Flesh Richard every <laughs> time I wrote Flesh Richard. Yeah, I was thinking of some double entendres with that. But no, that was good. Um, so, is he kind of a brainiac now? Like, could he have multiple robot bodies? Yeah. He's got, like, the consciousness uploaded now. And so part of his plan is if he dies, he has the consciousness, like, he could make another robot body to upload into if something happens, the catastrophic failure. So I guess the real question but, is, if you replace the axe handle of your supervillain, and then later you replace the axe head of your supervillain, is it the same supervillain, or is it a new supervillain? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that <laughs> but both that discussion up. I guess my big question yeah. from this is what was the zombie incident? I don't know exactly. Yeah. But it's got to be something like he had this device and he wanted to make himself immortal. Right. So part of that involved like taking out someone's being or something. I think it was similar to this. Except I don't know, robotics wasn't involved or something. So I think he turned on this device and it just started up, started sucking out people's humanity, maybe. I'm thinking it's not exactly zombies. Yeah. But it's some, like, loss of, like, like people just becoming animals, kind of. And, like, maybe there's this desire to get back what was lost. And so, in that state, they can't, the only way to do that is, like, eat other people or something. I don't know. <laughs> Okay. But that was the gist of what I had picked. Yeah. It'll be fun to explore that some more. Who is this person doing the interview? Is that a new reporter character? Uh, I don't know much about her, other than she's been kidnapped multiple times. Okay. I do have a, I have a first name of Blanca, but I don't know last name. Cool. And I really like the little city. <laughs> I think that was one of my favorite parts of the story. It made me think of Superman's tiny city that he has. Yeah, well, I thought of that. And then I was like, would it be like if he made a tiny city, would it be like no one can breathe because all the oxygen is like at some point, like if you take it to its extreme, it's like, hey, I can't breathe this oxygen because I'm the same size as it. Yeah. Yeah. My fear so. with Superman's city, because I know there's more in the comics about it. I was always like, man, what do they do for, like, food? Like, how long could you have a city in a jar before everyone just, like, eats each, up, each, eats each other and, like, turns into Mad Max? Yeah. But I also like this idea of the Amazing Richard isn't entirely truthful. Yeah. So I don't even know if this is his home city or <laughs> where he's actually from or anything. Like, this could be a city he went and captured this is someone else's tiny city 
like he wanted to go see what would happen if he shrank a city and he's like just as i hypothesized they all died <laughs> that was a very good way to kill them all and put them in a jar yeah. or maybe it is his real city i don't know i just i like the idea that you can't really trust what he's saying yeah so when this character shows back up maybe he's got another story or whatever that'd be kind of fun if he tells a different origin story every time he shows up yeah. kind of joker-esque <laughs> yeah that's what i was imagining but I mean, there could be nuggets of truth in whatever he says. Yeah, for sure. Oh, crap. I didn't put in a thing in the story I really wanted to put in. Oh, what was that? <laughs> I wanted to have a part where he's like, and now with this robot body, I'll be able to chew this gum I invented that never loses its flavor. <laughs> because while it's great when you can invent some gum that never loses its flavor, the problem then the limitation then becomes the jaw is you can't keep chewing this gum forever but i will be able to in this robot body oh <laughs> all right he buys a bunch of jawbreakers he's like nah, not anymore not today willy wonka tried to give me that's his actual origin willy wonka was really screwing with him as a kid but even if i don't go back and add it know that that's canon okay of, there's a non-zero part of himself that did this for the gum <laughs> it's all about the gum Ooh, would you like to do your story now sure but maybe i should say it in less of a bad way oh, okay and so you want to get on to your story now yeah no that sounds bad too let me see all right daniel your turn <laughs> all right well, my story is Aster, issue one. Do you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese on Centauri Prime? Asked a bemused teen. Her neon yellow school uniform reflected in her stark blonde hair. It made her smirk glow with an unnatural gold in the afternoon sun. Let me guess, a young boy in matching uniform said without looking up from his communicator. Is it something unintelligible and hard to say? Don't be a prick, she snapped. Shut up, Courtney. Don't call me that. Courtney is my earth name, she said, floating to his face. Noses pressed together. Oh, my mistake. The boy ran a hand through his dark brown curls. Sorry, I mean, shut the hell up, Aster. Her hands were around his collar of his jumpsuit, and they were a hundred feet in the air before he could catch his breath. His sunglasses ripped off his face by the sudden thrust. They spiraled toward the ground. She shook. The air became thin. He gasped. What are you going to do, Tari? I could drop you. Say it was an accident. He laughed weakly. And how exactly did I accidentally get up here? Flap my arms? Lightning glinted as her teeth grounded back and forth. She dropped him. He kept eye contact with her as he fell. She watched him drift back towards the rooftops. Blow on the ground, a frail hand picked up a broken pair of sunglasses. Looking from side to side, they searched for the rooftop. Putting down a bag of junk food, they looked up. They saw the limp body falling up to the ground. Cursing, the small form concentrated. Vines erupted from the building, blooming just in time to catch the boy in blue petals. What on Gaia did you tell her this time? I was gone for like ten minutes and you nearly got yourself killed. The person also wore a yellow jumpsuit. Bushy leaves sprouted from their head and neck. Deep red eyes that looked closer to wood than glass glowed under their mossy eyebrows. I was just having fun with the alien, the boy said. 
I just like getting her riled up, Thorn. You keep that up and I may not catch you next time. Whatever, like I need your help. They eyed one another for a beat. Yeah, maybe you'd make a better fertilizer than a patrol partner. Ouch, I'm hurt, Thorn, he said. The screwed up part is I can't tell if you're serious. I would never lie, replied the plant. Hey, Havoc, if you die, can I keep your wands? What? Did you grow a sense of humor at the corner store? It shoved him back and they laughed. The girl floated down silently, ignoring them. She watched the sky, wispy clouds scrolling across the city. She could make out the first star of the evening. A cold air of the atmosphere wicked her tears away. A small voice in her head said, hey. She tried to ignore him, but it said, I'm sorry, can you let me in? Aster relaxed her part of the mind. The voice grew in strength and said, thanks. Listen, Thorn brought some food. How about you come back down? Tell me more about your summer vacation. Effortlessly, she turned to the air to face the rooftop. She could merely make them out, even in their jumpsuits among the flower petals. She wiped away her tears and swallowed back a lump and soared toward the ground. The city was a patchwork of grays, tans, and glass. Blocks of marble carved like Roman palaces. Temples of steel and light were piecemealed together in uneven rows. Streets of polished jet stretched in every direction. Domes dotted the city, rolling hills of concrete. The outer wall blanketed parts of the city in early night, broken only by a gate twenty stories tall. In blocky peeling letters it read 09. Raising above the high-rises, a single tower rose in the distance, its windowless monolith of hard angles, a scar carved into the western sky. A figure watched the girl sail toward the building, hidden in the shade of a billboard. They glanced quickly at a glowing device affixed to their wrist. The names of the teens flashed by Captain Havoc, Thorn, Courtney, Aster, Grimm. Words, numbers, and symbols followed. Nodding, the dark figure pressed a switch. Below them, a busy street bustled with people. The people flagged cabs, said their greetings, and walked along the packed sidewalks. There was a calm, a normal afternoon, then chaos as it became a war zone. Six massive robots burst from the street. Cars creamed into one another, attempting to maneuver out of the way of the machines. The crowds cried out in fear. Unfolding from the asphalt, mechanical men took tentative steps towards a nearby bank. They stood two stories tall. Their bodies were rough cubes with hard edges. Spindly thin arms and legs carried them in lazy, stiff strides. Holding their arms out straight, they burst into the bank through plate glass. They stooped to crawl into the lobby. Havoc tried to swallow a bite of an oversized burrito. He said, We're up, team, through choose a burrito. Astra gracefully dived off the roof and stayed low to the ground, skimming the road by inches. Thorn jumped onto a wave of vines. Havoc took a few steps back, got a running start, and leapt from the building. In midair, he drew two gnarled wooden handles from leather holsters on his hips. Pointing them at the ground, a wave of cold darkness emitted from his arms, slowing him down. Havoc ducked and rolled into a sprint. Inside the bank, the robots sw swatted away security and broke through the teller line. They gathered at the vault, their powerful arms thrust into the wall and took hold of the steel-reinforced container. Together they heaved till the cylinder came loose from the concrete. Four of the robots took a hold of the container like palm bearers. With effort, they marched toward the entrance. Hey, bolts for brains. A blast of dark energy cut through the lead robot. It took two steps toward the source before every joint fell into a pile of rubble. Cogs, gears, and springs scattered across the smooth marble floor. 
The second robot braced for an assault. It dropped to a knee and held an arm out in front of itself. Vines broke up through the ground beneath it. They closed around the robot, snapping it in half. More vines drew the robot back into the earth as it clawed at the sides before disappearing. The robot holding the vault kept marching forward. A wind flooded the room as Astra flew through the open wall. She brought two fists down on its head, crushing it into the crumpled U-shape. The machine reeled back from the force, waving its arms before falling over. The vault slipping from the other three robots. Letting go, each rushed the, the teenagers. From the shadows, the dark cloaked figure brought a menu up on her wrist computer. Code whizzed by. The three remaining robots blinked before charging into a fight. Captain Havoc drew his wands and fired another blast of dark energy. The wave passed through the robots with no effect. The robots kicked him square in the chest. Thor summoned a flurry of vines to hold them back. The vines wilted and withdrew as the machines grasped them. Aster drew her fist and threw her full weight into a punch. Her hand crumpled at the touch of the steel chest piece. The force broke every finger in her hand. The robot watched her and then tore her other arm clean from her body. Lastly, it kicked her clean of the exit. Thor ran to her side. The machines assessed the heroes. They took up the vault and began sluggishly carrying it out of the bank. Havoc tried to stand but coughed blood. Astra faded in and out of consciousness. Thorn swore vigorously. Out of the shadows, a figure appeared. Looks like you could all use a hand, said the figure. She wore a bright purple suit with silver armor plates on her arms, legs, and belt. A breathing mask covered her face. A large silver E was emblazoned on her chest. One of the robots went to step on her, but she stepped to the side. It drew its arms above its, her head. Its forearm was larger than her entire body. Bringing it down, it stopped at her touch. With one hand, she tossed the robot over her head into a wall. Smashing through the wall, it broke apart into a heap. The remaining robots took the vault and hurled it at her. Breaking it into a dead run, she backflipped over the vault. It crashed into the streets outside. Using her arm computer, she rapidly wrote a line of code. Hitting Sin, the robots blinked and took a swing at the mystery woman. She waved and dodged at their assault. She ran towards an opposing wall and ran up the surface. One of the robots followed her, its arms swept towards her, missing by inches. Pushing off the wall, she took a hold of the robot and threw it into the other, both crumbling into millions of pieces. She took a series of calming breaths. Is she okay? The woman asked. Thor nodded slowly. He said, She's unconscious, but I think I stabilized her. She's a Centauri, so she should be fine. There was a loud clapping at the entrance to the bank. A seven-foot-tall woman was grinning from ear to ear. Next to her was a shy teenager in a yellow jumpsuit. The teen ran at the side of Aster. Well, well, not bad. I don't know if we've had the pleasure. I'm Bison, the tall woman held out her hand. Echo. Charmed, I'm sure, the purple woman said. Are you new in town? Just arrived. Well, good thing you did, Bison said, taking this in the scene. Hey, Captain, what the hell happened? The boy took a shaky step, holding his stomach, and said through bloody teeth, It's the weirdest thing. They adapted. It was like one minute we were fine, and then the next we couldn't touch them. Whatever, rookie. Looks to me like you just got your ass handed to you because you were sloppy. Oh, screw off, Bison. You have some nerve calling anyone sloppy after what happened with the kaiju last week. Bison was suddenly a foot taller. She pressed a heavy finger in Havoc's chest, pushing him back. She said, What's that, rookie? What's that? He looked down at her finger, only to have her drag it up to his nose and shove him over. She threw her head back and laughed. Oh, man, you fell for it, huh? Oh, Dennis, your dad is gonna bust a gut. 
She wiped a tear away from her eye. Oh, that was too good. Hey, get your tank to a medical center. Yo, Echo, we should take you to the Central Citadel. Get you registered. Can't have you running around town without a license. The women walked towards the hole in the outside wall. Bison smoothly put an arm around Echo's shoulder. Afterwards, I can show you the best shawarma place in New Norville, if you want to, Echo. I think I'd like that. Bison looked back. Come on, Wisp, she'll be fine. The teen gave Thorne a reassuring shoulder squeeze and ran after her partner. Havoc walked over to Aster and collapsed next to her. He leaned over. The girl's eyes fluttered. He thought to her with all the strength he had left. Hey. She thought back. What's up? The captain produced a a burrito from his utility belt and thought to her, I saved you a burrito. All three teens laughed. The end. For now. I like it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I got some questions here for you. Yeah. So this took place in the Citadel, like uh, the Bison and Wisp story. Yeah. Man, you picked a Wisp. <laughs> I did. The Bison and Wisp story. I. It's just all one word there. Yeah. Bison and Wisp story. <laughs> she should change identities at some point, so I don't have to call her Wisp anymore. <laughs> oh, the Wisp. You used to be the Wisp. Now you're easily pronounceable. <laughs> now you're face puncher. That's much easier to say. Now you're jet blaster. There we go. So I didn't recognize it was the Citadel right away. Was that on purpose or was I just inattentive? No. I mean, I mentioned whenever Aster's like flying around that she sees the tower. And I like alluded to the gate from the last story. Yeah. So in the last story, they were outside the gate. And this time you're inside the gate. Okay. Yeah, so I need to I need to develop that better for a sense of place. Yeah. I mean, it'll I think it'll come. Yeah, I like the 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 monolith or not monolith, but the monolithic tower. I guess. Yeah. You got any lore for that, or is that like still in development? It's still getting developed, but I think that's going to be the citadel. So I'm hoping to do some more of that in the future. Okay, and. Do you know much about these aliens? These, uh, I like to call them centaurs, but I guess <laughs> in the story they're called centauri. Yeah, I've got some ideas for these guys. My original thought was that they're just kind of like low-level supermen. They can fly and they're strong and are hard to kill. But I didn't like, I didn't want them to have like breath weapons or like other weird stuff. My th- idea was that like there's a large colony of them nearby Earth, or like a good-sized colony, and so. Uh, just over the years, they've like integrated some onto Earth and whatnot. So now, is it exactly like Superman, where they're like, "We're normal people over here, <laughs> but we're super people over here"? That was one thing that I really don't like about Superman. So I was gonna say not. I was gonna say they're just always super. I do like the idea that though we should have some people like yeah, that. Yeah, that's fine. And because I like the idea of perhaps everyone wanting to come to earth because like why would i want to be on my normal like hey this city over next to your city everyone can fly there <laughs> and like well i don't want to live here i want to live over there if i move to a, a system with a yellow sun i could do awesome stuff for whatever reason yep 
I'm like maybe there's like a lottery like <laughs> one person every every year gets picked and it's like you get to go be a superhero <laughs> on earth oh uh, superhero tourism we gotta have some race like that all right did you have any inspiration for this one? Or? Yeah. Uh, whenever we said robots, I instantly thought of the Mechanical Monsters, which is an episode of Superman from 1941, I think. And it's just this ridiculous thing where, like, these giant boxy robots break into, like, jewelry stores and are just stealing jewels for this mad scientist. And I just really like that cartoon. So it's like, I need to try to make some allusion to that. On the last one, we had a bit of the hierarchy. Yeah. Like, Minotaur was above Bison. Yeah. Bison was above Wisp. Right. And it seemed like Wisp was kind of like a new person. But these people are even, like, fresher, it seems. Yeah. So I'm imagining these people are, like, in superhero high school. And this is, like, part of their, like, lab class where they have to go out and, like, do a patrol. And, like, ideally would have to write write a report or something about this whenever they get back to school. But then like Wisp just graduated. And so she's just got her first partnership. Okay. Sort of like a Jedi type apprenticeship. Yeah. I think just depending on the superhero, like, maybe there's some, if there was like a Batman, maybe he would be fine to just get his license and like maybe do a really short, just make sure he's not crazy kind of apprenticeship. Whereas like Wisp <laughs> works better maybe in a team. They're like, yeah, you should just work with Bison for a while. And I think I'm going to try to do more stuff with, like, they have, like, classes, kind of like MMOs. If you're a, a healer class, like Thorn, maybe you'd do better with, like, some other superheroes that, like, help you out. Yeah, you did mention something about your tank or whatever. Yeah. Are you ever going to write a story that's not in the Citadel? Yeah, I'm working my way there. I've got some story ideas for superheroes outside of the Citadel that are, like, indie superheroes. Oh, I mean, don't. Don't give away the gold. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking like uh, Daredevil level heroes that I was going to play with at some point. I think before you do another Citadel one, I've got to do a Citadel. Okay. Is this the part where you just never write a Citadel story then? <laughs> God, no, <you>. I will. <laughs> How do we want to start the deep dive? Oh, no. Did me saying that already start it? It might have. And let's discuss robots. Yeah, so no one in our stories got super impressed by the fact that there were robots. So I imagine that they're a little more commonplace, but yeah. how common do you think? How how common is probably a good place to start. It's modern day, but it's also modern day and superheroes. Yeah, like they've got chrono guns and... Chrono guns? Wasn't that in... Didn't... Uh... I think a chrono gun might be a time gun, oh. but... He might have one of those also. Cryo gun. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, there are people like the amazing Richard, and there's probably other inventors like him that are progressing the field of robotics more than our own world might. So robots are definitely a little more common. Yeah. So it seems like superheroes are pretty common. Do you think superheroes or robots are more common? Ooh. I guess it depends on if we want to have, are there like a made bot? Uh, maybe for like super Cause rich? I don't, cause I don't know if I want to do a society totally integrated with robots, but I do like if there was enough robots to have the question of like, are robots people? Yeah. 
the answer is at some point yes. <laughs> I wonder if there's been a like if there were enough robots, is there enough mass for like a robot uprising? And if so, what happened with that? Like, could they have made their own city? Like, robots were more common, and then all of them were like, "You guys treat us pretty bad." <laughs> so, bye. <laughs> well, and I always wondered, like in the Matrix fiction, like there's a robot city, but I was like, wouldn't they just all go into like a server and just have like online life? Sorry. Are you asking if the robots in the Matrix would create the Matrix? Because I think the answer you, they they did. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> like you see in like uh like the Animatrix movie, there's like an actual robot city where like yeah. robots walk around. And I was always like, man, it just seems like a lot of work when they could just be in the Matrix. Well, I mean, once they have a body, yeah. you don't want to get rid of your body. Like that, there's a that existential part of. Uh, Richard's experience. He knew that in the other, with the shoes on the other foot, he'd make the exact same decision because it was him. But he also knew that no, no one wants to die, <laughs> even if it wasn't really a true death type experience for him. Yeah. Do you think there has been an up robot uprising, or are we building to one? I just really like a robot. City. Yeah, that's what I want. No matter if it's now or later, I like the idea of a robot city. Okay. Do we have any robot superheroes? Maybe they the robot city sends a robot superhero that's like a goodwill ambassador. Do you think would he be a tiny robot who could like get into a bigger robot if he needed to? Or would he just like change his consciousness out, like changing pants to a bigger robot? He's just a normal man size, but then they're like, Oh well there's a giant alien. He's like, Okay, I'll go switch out bodies. I like the idea that like, this guy, Richard, he's comfortable with the idea of his consciousness just, it is the thing he yeah. is, not necessarily the body. But what if part of being a robot is just, like, part of being, there is that, I guess they would have some sort of upload thing? Yeah. But you don't want that, like, what if there's part of that is they don't want that to happen? What if it's a screw-on-head situation? And it's only their head where their consciousness is kept. They can just swap out bodies willy-nilly. I think that would be fine in some situations. Yes. I just don't want to get into a situation in this world where all robots are immortal. Oh, right. Because that could cause some complications. You don't want a whole bunch of immortal characters popping up. I mean, I've already made a good chunk of them. <laughs> this is just a, a random question I had about robots in general. Is if you can copy your consciousness... How do your voting rights work? Do you just vote by the single, like, the majority of your consciousness? Or does each version of your consciousness get a vote? Well, it was a tight vote, but then uh, X15 copied himself five million times, and now it's a landslide victory. Maybe they can be copied. Maybe there's some limitation in the coding of things. Maybe that's what this big breakthrough of Richard is. Oh, okay. Robots have existed, but they haven't. they hadn't figured out a way to... The transfer. Transfer whatever the being is of these robots between one another. So every robot is totally mortal. Okay. Well, then I bet the robots will be pretty excited to talk to Richard now. Yeah. Perhaps there's a faction that doesn't want that because they like their mortality. Ooh. Planned obsolescence. Yeah. So is a robot city more inherently crimeless or something? 
Like, is this Robot City sort of a utopia? I wonder if they've got kind of a Wi-Fi network. If, like, someone commits a crime, everyone already knows who did it. And they could already, like, just automatically, like, well, you're done. Or, like, would you be able to see from their programming, like, he's going to commit a crime. So we can fix that coding now. That seems scary. Yeah. But if you're a robot, maybe that's okay. What if there is this Wi-Fi network type thing? It does prevent crime because no, no one can get away with a crime as long as you're on the network. So there are people that have gotten off the network. Oh. So there's like an underground type thing there. Yeah. And perhaps some people get off the network to like, you know, I'm going to go live amongst people. I've had it with our weird dystopic utopia. And maybe robots don't really have robot jail because robots that don't get along just get outcasted. So they've got this robot here yeah. that goes to the human world is it a mecha robot like it is a robot that operates a giant mech yeah or i think he's got like a mech sized body enhancement no man i like a robot inside of the mech. they're two separate robots that are partners oh that could be fun that's weird <laughs> to think about someone going inside you like that <laughs> but if you're a mecha I mean, maybe that feels good. You're like, yeah, let's go party and hit stuff. But so we've got Robot City, Robot, robot Superhero Duo. Yeah. Limitations on robot conscious transfer. And there was some robot uprising war type thing that had got resolved by there being a Robot City. I was just had the thought of like, the robot war starts, but the robots are so polite and efficient that the war is like very quiet. Uh, what about location of the city? Do you think it's located in a place that a city can't typically be? Ooh. Yeah, like if they're in like Antarctica, it wouldn't... Like we can live yeah, here. Yeah, and no one else is like really going to worry about fighting them for it. Yeah. And they wouldn't have to worry about heat problems. Yeah. Just cold, but... Maybe some big name super scientist on the good side, like a Reed Richards type figure, helped them figure out how not to freeze everything. That sounds so that was part of the truce or something. What's our our prompt for next week? Or the prompt for next What's our week? prompt for the next episode, I should say. Oh yeah. I guess it won't be yeah. weekly. Prompt for the next episode is reflections. Oh. I just realized that I had had ideas for a story. But they were all based in the Citadel city. So I'll have to yeah, you can't do play that. with that and think of something new. Do you want to say your Twitter and stuff? Yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere online at Gwair. That's G-Y-W-A-I-R. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all those places. I don't have much on my YouTube right now, but Twitter you can probably meet, find me a whole lot. And... Uh, I've also got a website called calculatingnormals.wordpress.com where I just chat and do weird stuff. All right. See you next time, and I'll hit everyone out up with that uh, extra outro that I record later. The end for now. Justice League just came out. Way to date the recording, Pasquin. I guess I should do my thing, though. Here's the names of the musics. Free harmonics by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Dreams Are for Living by Daniel Birch. The Dweller on the Threshold by Niall Orr. Caught in the Crossfire by Daniel Birch. And Drive by Alex. 
All songs are edited down as needed for the podcast and used under their Creative Commons licenses. Links to the songs and the people that made them are in the show notes. Our show art is done by Lisa Prather. You can find her website at lisapratherart.com or on Instagram with the same name without the .com bit. You can find us on Twitter at Double Issue Show. Our website is doubleissue.show. We got some Facebook at facebook.com slash doubleissue. And our email is doubleissueshow at gmail.com. We'd love to have questions about the universe that could fuel further world-building discussion, especially if you see a plot hole. I mean, we'll probably deny that it's a plot hole, and then hastily come up with something to cover it up in the next episode like we meant to answer it all along. Then we'll read your email on the episode after that, and chastise you for not having faith in our narrative chops. Alright, Daniel, hit us up with that timely outro. Hold up, I gotta go chase someone off a Christmas tree.